You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Hello and welcome to the 1899th edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk for the 6th of October. The editor of this edition is Katrina Morris, the producer is Roger Morris and your readers are David Palmer and Sue Cunningham-Snell. We should also mention our processing team who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. And I will start with the headlines, and my first one is Changes to Flagship Store Approved. And the second headline, Region Among Worst in Britain for Dental Care. The next one is Why Are Flats Still Empty? And finally, Surge in Hospitality Insolvencies Unsurprising, Say Suffolk Bosses. Changes to the entrance of an empty flagship store in Bury St Edmunds have been approved to help pave the way for a new retailer. A planning amendment was submitted by the CBRE Investment Management last month to make minor changes to the main shop front entrance of Debenhams at the Ark Shopping Centre. It would provide access to the ground and first floors to meet the operational requirements of the proposed occupier, according to documents submitted to West Suffolk Council. The changes included reducing the width of the entrance and incorporating two glazed doors set with an aluminium panel surround. An area for signage was shown, but advertisement consent would need to be sought by the new tenant. In a decision letter, Rachel Almond, Service Manager, Planning Development at the Council said, The changes are considered to be non-material and otherwise acceptable. No adverse impacts are considered to arise and the non-material amendment is hereby granted. Planning documents over a servicing plan for the former Debenhams previously revealed that terms had been agreed with an unnamed high street retailer to occupy the ground and first floors of the empty shop. An acoustic assessment for an everyman cinema in the basement of the building had made reference to a Primark. It said, To the above of the demise is proposed to be a Primark shopping centre. In July, Alan Hassel, manager of the Art Shopping Centre, said they were unable to comment on the speculation. Plans for the cinema were approved last month. It would feature four screens and a smaller screen for private hire, with 306 seats in total. Berry's Debenhams closed in May last year, following a multi-million pound takeover of the brand by Boohoo Group which excluded its high street shops. By the end of May 2021, all 118 shops had closed, marking the end of the 242-year-old brand's reign on the high street. Debenhams was the Ark Shopping Centre's flagship store and opened when the complex launched in 2009. Since its closure, internal demolition works have been completed, rendering the building's interior virtuality unrecognisable from its departure store days. So the region among worst in Britain for dental care, uh, MPs are under fire as dental desert is revealed. New data released today reveals the scale of the dental crisis, with one Suffolk district one of the worst in the country. Campaigners at Toothless in Suffolk described the lack of NHS care as a sad state of affairs, as statistics showed a growing number of dental deserts. The local government association, LGA figures, reveal the Mid-Suffolk area has 0.067 dentists per 1,000 people, placing it the fourth lowest in England. 
the figure was only marginally better than Ashfield in Nottinghamshire, which has 0.062 dentists. <coughs> Excuse me. Steve Marsling, co-founder of the Toothless Group, said, Sadly, I am not surprised because of the number of people that have been contacting the campaign saying, What can I possibly do? He urged Health Secretary and Suffolk Coastal MP Therese Coffey to join talks with the campaigners, adding that her proposal to increase immigration to solve the shortage of dentists would have little impact. <clears throat> Moving on to an article on this subject. A Beres Nedman's man in desperate pain from a golf ball-sized abscess caused by a compacted wisdom tooth resorted to taking out a bank loan to cover the £500 cost of private dental care after his search for an NHS dentist proved fruitless. Darren Turner was speaking as figures from the local government association, LGA, revealed the Mid-Suffolk district, which neighbours Berry, had some of the lowest numbers of NHS dentists in England. The father of two visited the A&E department at West Suffolk Hospital twice in agony, only to be told that there were no dentists available to treat him, while a Google search for local NHS care was also in vain. In the end, the postal worker, who does not drive, had to travel 30 miles to Cambridge for the private treatment. He said, I was suffering terrible toothache, which became progressively worse over a number of months, and I took over-the-counter medication to try and control the pain. I went to West Suffolk Hospital, but they said they did not have any dentists, and it got to the point where I had a golf ball-sized lump on my jaw. When I called 111, they said I needed to be seen immediately, only to be told by A&E that they couldn't treat me as they didn't have any dentists there. Instead, he was given antibiotics to ease the swelling, which helped the pain to subside, but within a couple of weeks, the abscess came back with a vengeance, forcing him to take the private route. He said the lack of local NHS dentistry made life especially difficult for people on low incomes who were already dealing with the cost of living crisis caused by spiralling inflation. He knew of some people who were drinking alcohol to numb the pain caused by dental problems. With the cost of living crisis, I am struggling to put food in my children's bellies and to keep the house warm in the winter, he said. I have to choose now between being in pain and paying my bills, so it literally comes down to a choice between do I look after my children or sort out my pain? And any parent will put their child first, no matter how much pain they are in, Mr Turner said. Questions have been raised as to why a block of affordable apartments in a town centre remain empty two years after tenants were rehomed. Issues with the award-winning Berry St Edmund Flats Goodfellows, hailed for their eco-friendly and sustainable design when built, were first publicly revealed in February 2020. Haverbury Housing Partnership announced that it would rehome tenants in the 12 flats in Kings Road Parkway after a survey found improvements were required. However, despite repeated questions by the Berry Free Press, Haverbury has not revealed what exactly is wrong with the flats, which were built in 2008 and proved controversial in the town over the years due to their appearance. In October 2020, Haverbury confirmed the last remaining tenant would be moving out and the required work was delayed due to the COVID-19 pandemic. But the flats still remain empty and Haverbury expects to make a decision on its options for the block by the end of the year. One West Suffolk councillor, though has spoken out about the situation given there are people in need of homes. Green councillor Julia Wakelam said, I'm hugely concerned because we do have a long waiting list. We have people desperate for somewhere to live and we've got properties standing empty belonging to a housing association whose job it is to house people. It's straightforward, wrong to have property empty unless there's a really good reason. When first announced, Haverbury said the works were expected to be disruptive and it was likely they would have to remove the windows 
doors and staircases. In January, it said it had been working with consultants on options for Goodfellows. This week, a Haverby Housing Partnership spokesman said, We continue to explore the most cost-effective solution to bring the 12 flats at Goodfellows back into use. We actively manage our assets and homes through reinvestment, regeneration and sales. This project has taken much longer than anticipated due to the COVID-19 pandemic and the recent changes in the economic environment. But we hope to be able to finalise our options and have a decision on Goodfellows by the end of 2022. We are committed to providing a high-quality housing and last year built up 180 additional new affordable homes, bringing the total number of homes we own and manage to just under 7,000. With its timber construction and wisteria and clematis shrubs growing up the building's steel wires, Goodfellows won an RIBA East Sustainability Award and Suffolk Association of Architects Design in 2019. Goodfellow was the surname of the family who lived at number 141 Kings Road, which was demolished to make way for the flats. The recent surge in hospitality insolvencies is unsurprising, say Suffolk bosses. Uh, Joe Watts from East Anglian insolvency experts, McTeer, Williams and Wood, said, In the last few weeks we've seen a lot more inquiries from hospitality companies. Restaurants, cafes, that sort of thing, seem to be what's affected most at the moment. Steve Gardner, the owner of a 600-year-old pub, The Gardeners, says it's unsurprising that many hospital businesses are facing hospitality businesses, excuse me, businesses are facing insolvency, as he fears this is the end of the line for rural British pubs. He is aiming to keep his pub running for as long as he can, but said he's not optimistic for the future due to the rising cost of business. I can see more and more pubs closing and sitting empty. It feels like I'm just watching them fold around me, said Mr Gardner. There was nothing in the budget for small businesses, so it's unsurprising that the hospitality industry is suffering. Eventually the supply chain will dry up, particularly nearing the end of the next VAT quarter, we are just going to be wiped out. Director of Properties at Adnams, Nick Atfield, acknowledged that this is a difficult time for hospitality businesses, but is hopeful for the industry's adaptability and resilience. He said, Uncertainties are our biggest challenge, but once we know what we're dealing with, we adapt quickly. We have a scary storm facing us because we don't know the conditions of our future. Mr Atfield was hopeful for the announcement of the mini-budget, but said it left him frustrated for small businesses. Small businesses were just completely neglected, but they're the backbone of Suffolk and East Anglia, he added. At Adnams, we're taking a long-term approach and trying to weather the storm as best we can. Both Mr Gardner and Mr Atfield were disappointed with the mini-budget, echoing feelings from other Suffolk business owners who said they felt left out. Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng's announcement also received a backlash from a number of experts and politicians, who claimed that the highest beneficiaries will be those who earn the most. And now we're going to move to our more general news. And the first one I have is about the very sad bird flu. The swans were found alongside two seagulls and a heron, the latest in a series of dead wildlife being discovered in the waterway. The news has been reported to the Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs, which has confirmed bird flu testing is being conducted on samples from the animals. It's a huge concern within the community, said Independent Councillor for Sudbury Town Council, Steve Hall. These are sad times, and it's always distressing for the public. Well done to everyone for reporting these incidents and raising awareness that this is happening. We suspect that this is bird flu, but testing is still underway to determine the official cause of these deaths. The news comes after a number of high-profile breakouts of the disease across Suffolk. In the two weeks, there have been confirmed cases in areas such as Honington, Bury St Edmunds and Hadley. 
It is believed the majority of birds found in Sudbury were at the Brundon Lane Mill Pond. It's a serious situation for the area, said Mr Hall. Sudbury swans are well-known attraction. Bird flu appears to be spreading through Suffolk and there needs to be coordination between various councils and organisations to tackle this. DEFRA has reiterated that wild birds are susceptible to a range of diseases and injuries that would not all of these found dead with have been infected with bird flu. However, members of the public should call the DEFRA helpline if they find one or more dead bird of prey or owl. Three or more dead gulls or wild waterfowl, swans, geese and ducks of five or more dead birds of any species. After the department receives a report, some birds are collected and tested to help experts understand what risk is posed to poultry and other birds. People have been urged to not touch or pick up any dead or visibly sick birds that are found. Although bird flu is potentially devastating to commercial poultry and wild bird flocks, Public Health England advises that the risk to public health from the virus is very low and the Food Standard Agency advises that avian influences pose a very low food safety risk for UK consumers. Uh, Owners of Fire Ravaged Tea Room launch new venture. The owners of a cafe which was destroyed by fire are set to open a new tea room on the coast as they aim to get their business up and running again. Jill Booth, who ran Nutshells in Startland with husband Ian, said she hoped the new tea room in Felixstowe would open this month. The couple can't wait to get back to what they love doing. The popular Stowe Upland venue was gutted by a blaze in January, and the pair, who were well known for their bacon bloomers, have no idea on the timescale for the rebuild of the site. After what Mrs Booth described as a horrendous year, she said, It is nice to have something to focus on. Having the Felixstowe Tea Room gives us the opportunity to get up and running again. We need to start to generate some income and get our feet back on the ground. On the Nutshells Tea Room in Stowe Upland Facebook page, the couple said, We haven't forgotten about Stowe Upland at all, a place we still call home and whose residents we consider family. They added, Our intention is absolutely still to return to the village. However, as with most things nowadays, the whole process is taking slightly longer than we had hoped. We'll share more information as and when we know it, but our future plans include running both tea rooms. Jill, who's been working on new sweet treats for the Felix Doe Venture Nutshells by the Sea, said, Mentally, it's been a very tough year. Everything feels quite raw, and opening the new tea room is bringing back memories. It's been an emotional time. We're delighted and excited to be opening but it doesn't change what's happened. We are looking forward to seeing people and welcoming them to nutshells by the sea. From fires to staff working overnight out of the goodness of their hearts, the managing director of a Saxon-based firm has had a memorable career. Tony Stanton is retiring as managing director of Direct Table Foods today after nearly 50 years in the bacon business. He started out as a teenager with roles in accounts and sales before becoming a production director at the age of 21. Then the business produced five tonnes of bacon a week in its small London factory. Now it produces 1,300 tonnes a week in Saxon. Tony said the industry was unrecognisable to the one he entered in his youth. In the old days, when we were more of a family business, it wasn't as serious, but the bigger you get, the more serious business becomes, said Tony. One story which shows how things were back then is when we were behind on a Sainsbury's order and I had to tell the staff to do overtime on a Saturday morning. When I got there, they had stayed all night long and worked to finish the order to surprise me when I got there. It was such a lovely gesture. They didn't want money for it. It was one of the nicest things anyone has done for me. 
Tony was at the helm of the Lark Valley Foods, then based in Lambden Road, Bury St Edmunds, when it burned down in November 2004. It was horribly challenging time, said Tony. In hindsight, I didn't appreciate it at the time. The fire gave us the opportunity to go into the Premier League and become a big supplier. During his career, Tony has been chairman of the Provision Trade Federation, a highlight involved with the Butcher's Livery Company, as it is director of the British Meat Processors Association. The most important thing in my career has been the people who work for me. I've had a brilliant team who have made me look good, said Tony. But it is time to hand over to a new management, and they are taking the business to the next stage. Tony said he has no specific plans for retirement other than relaxing, enjoying his seven grandchildren, perhaps playing golf and rekindling an interest on bridge. A Sally Scoops Chief Nurse Award for Care A Suffolk Care Home Manager said she had to do a double take when she received a top accolade from England's Chief Nurse for Social Care. Sally Chilvers, who helps lead Stolangtoft Hall near Bury St Edmunds, thought she was on a virtual briefing meeting with the chief nurse, Professor Deborah Sturdy, when to her surprise she discovered she was being presented with the coveted National Gold Award. The Chief Nurse Awards, launched last year to mirror social care, the awards for nursing in the NHS, recognise exceptional practice and care within the sector. Sally, who trained as a nurse 40 years ago, said... I had absolutely no idea. I was busily taking notes when Professor Sturdy suddenly started talking about me and I had to do a double take. To receive the Gold Award is something I am beyond proud of and I am so proud of my team and residents at Stolangtoft Hall who make coming to work such a pleasure every day. She's already enjoyed one special event as a result of her nomination, a visit to 10 Downing Street as part of the celebration of 74 years of the NHS where she met the Prime Minister and many key movers in health and social care. Ruth French, director of Stolangtoft Hall, oversees the home's Stowe Healthcare Group and nominated Sally for her award. She said, I wanted Sally's warmth and humanity to be recognised nationally. The passion she puts into making Stolangtoft Hall a special place for everyone who lives and works there is a joy to see, and her commitment to social care over 40 years is to be applauded. The 18th ever Ampton Hall ploughing match took place on Sunday, with keen tractor drivers turning out to compete. The match is one of the largest of its kind in the area, and this year, 36 tractor drivers took part, with competitors coming from Suffolk, Norfolk and Essex. The match, held on the Ampton Hall Estates ground, with permission from the Turner family, was organised by Henry Castle and Don Sapsford. This year marked a return in form for the event, which was called off in 2019 and 2020 due to waterlogging on the estate's grounds. Mr Castle said, The match went extremely well this year. Conditions were fantastic because we'd had rain about a month before. Prior to that, the ground was very, very hard, so you couldn't actually plough it. Because we had the rain prior to the event, it went wonderfully. Participants varied from the top title of a variety of classes. The winner of the lady class was Carol Shaw, while David Allen netted first prize in the Ferguson class. David Bolton took the Best Tractor and Implement Award. There were also special classes for the top entrants competing with vintage ploughs. Luke Diver won the Vintage Mounted category, Neil Ancy the Vintage Trail class, and Joe Chadwick the Classic Mounted class. John Chambers topped the Classic Mounted Modified class. While most of these involved had featured in previous matches, Mr Castle said there were some new faces. He said, we get new participants all year as other people retire. It's an ongoing process. Most of them have been before, but this year we got five new ones who ploughed extremely well. Prestigious National Award for 
for Berry Horse Surgeon Tim. A horse surgeon from Berry St Edmunds has been awarded with the British Veterinary Association's highest scientific honour. Professor Tim Greet was given the award for his outstanding contributions to equine clinical practice and welfare globally. He was awarded with the Dalrymple Champneys Cup and Medal, which is presented every year to a British Veterinary Association, BVA, member whose work supports the advancement of veterinary science last week. Professor Greet, who was president of the BVA between 2003 and 2004, has received the award in recognition of his contributions to the veterinary profession and his specialist area of horse surgery. Professor Greet said, It's very humbling to be awarded this award, following in the footsteps of so many influential predecessors. I must acknowledge the huge support I've received over the years from family and colleagues and the inspirational support in my early career from several previous winners of this award. BVA President Justine Shotton said Tim has been and continues to be a trailblazer within equine veterinary practice in a career spanning more than 45 years. He's been a true champion of the veterinary profession through his leadership. He is an immensely worthy recipient of this award. A Ukrainian father who fled Kiev in the first days of the conflict with Russia is fundraising to help those still living in the war-torn country. Arten Shapruni, 36, of Kiev, has been living in Ruffin with his wife Anna and son Denis since July. Artem said, All our family went to the west regions of Ukraine at the end of February. My job was totally stopped because I work with travelling services. That's why we considered relocating to a country where we could get a job and our child could study safely. And in the summer, we arrived in the UK. Artem said life for those still living in Ukraine was not easy. I'm always in contact with my friends. Every day there are attacks with rockets and bombs in different parts of the country. You can't be safe anywhere in my motherland now. All of my friends in Ukraine try to live, but it is living one day at a time, without any plans, without any visible future. Donations for those who are still in Ukraine will help them to survive. A lot of people lost jobs or the possibility of work. A lot of people lost their houses and property. Our government can't fully support them. That is why we collect donations and send our own money to help Ukrainians who need help to survive. Artem is asking people to donate to a Ukrainian-based volunteer organisation, helping to deliver aid where it is needed with anyone who donates being entered into a draw to win a 50% discount on entry to the St Ed's Runs Ensor's Running Festival in Bury St Edmunds on October the 30th. The funds will go to a volunteer association, Kari Oshenyata, which has 50 volunteers who deliver help to those who need it most, including food, medical items, equipment for hospitals and humanitarian centres of fire departments. Volunteers also help to unload trains to deliver humanitarian aid. Support for NHS staff outlined by Hospital Trust. A Hospital Trust has revealed how it is supporting staff following a damning independent review over whistleblowing and patient safety as it held its first face-to-face annual members' meeting since the pandemic. The meeting held at the Apex in Bury St Edmunds and attended by over 150 people was an opportunity for the public to find out latest developments in West Suffolk's NHS Foundation Trust, including how they can have their say about the new hospital site and what is being done to ensure staff well-being as well as the opportunity to learn about the various local healthcare and voluntary organisations within the Trust. Following an independent review commissioned by NHS England over what was billed as the Trust's intimidating and disastrous attempt to identify a whistleblower, the Trust has appointed a team of over 40 Freedom to Speak Up champions 
to ensure that staff can raise any concerns they may have. It has also invested in and grown the patient safety and quality improvement teams and last week appointed five new non-executive directors, NEDs. The Trust will soon launch the next round of its What Matters to You staff engagement programme after the success of the first survey in 2020, which saw 2,000 responses. In terms of providing care for patients and members of the community, the Trust is using feedback to make improvements. Craig Black, Interim Chief Executive Officer, said this includes some of the things that worked well during the pandemic, such as more telephone and video call consultations, patient-initiated follow-up and ways for patients to keep in touch with loved ones in our care, such as the Keeping in Touch service and the Clinical Helpline. We've extended the hours of our clinics and theatres to work through waiting lists and are implementing virtual wards so people can be clinically monitored from the comfort of their own homes. Meanwhile, staff at West Suffolk Hospital's neonatal unit are delighted after achieving top accreditation in which the unit demonstrated it has sufficient processes and facilities to provide high-quality, family-centred care. The unit in Bury St Edmunds was awarded the Bliss Baby Charter Gold Accreditation. After passing her first aid course with flying colours, Caroline Stokes, who lives at the Pines, a residential disability care service run by Consensus Support, passed her one-day QA Level 3 award in emergency first aid at work after staff at the home invited her to join them as they also worked towards their first aid qualification. The 42-year-old, who has lived in the service in Fornham St Martin near Bury St Edmunds for over a decade, lives with autism and learning needs and suffered a stroke in 2010. Despite facing challenges reading and writing, Caroline jumped at the chance to achieve the qualification and even did better than one member of staff. She said, I wanted to take part in the course because I wanted to learn how to do first aid on people if they're in trouble. One of the hardest elements of the course for Caroline was getting on the floor as she suffers from weakness down the left side of her body as a result of the stroke, but that didn't stop her. To others thinking about doing a similar qualification, she said, Try first aid and see how you get on. It's about having a go and developing new skills. Manager Samantha Alman said, It's a big achievement because reading and writing is difficult for her. There were medical things for her to understand, so there was quite a lot for her to take in. I'm very proud of her. It's one of the hardest courses to pass, and it's a huge thing because it's not something everyone can pass. This isn't the first qualification that Caroline has achieved. Her keen interest in cooking saw her pass her online food hygiene course last year. She now hopes to volunteer for the Salvation Army and would like to speak to other people in different services about her achievement to inspire them. She has already managed to inspire others a bit closer to home. Others within the service see her doing it now, and they're asking if they can do the course, Samantha asked, added. It's encouraging others wanted to learn. A run racks up thousands for charities. The 8th Bardwell Tractor Run took to the roads at the weekend, raising £4,000 so far for four Suffolk charities. The run saw 104 vehicles, including vintage tractors, lorries and classic cars, joining forces to raise money for St Nicholas Hospice Care, Suffolk Accident Rescue Service, SARS, West Suffolk Samaritans and the West Suffolk Stillbirth and Neonatal Death Charity, SANS. The route started at Stanton and went through Walsham, Wattersfield, Hinderclay, Redgrave, Dis, Royden, Bressingham, South Lopham, Blow Norton, Hopton and Market Weston before returning to the start. Lee Maddox, the run organiser, said in each and every village there were people everywhere waving and cheering us on as we went through. It was just amazing support. 
Before the run started, there was a silence observed for Her Majesty the Queen and friend Lisa Frost, whose family field was the event's starting point. The run was also joined by Charlie Damore with her family and friends, who were due to have their own tractor run on Saturday, but joined with the Bardwell run with purple balloons on their vehicles, in memory of Charlie's dad, Stephen Ruddock. Lee said, I would like to thank the drivers for taking their time preparing their vehicles and coming, and thanks to all the people who stood waiting for us in the villages, even in the rain, to wave. Also the Frost family for the use of their field, Kev, Ben, Rich, Tina, John and Emily for directing us around the route, and to my friends and family for all their help. You cannot hold an event like this without help. And now we're going to move on to our letters. Uh, my first letter this week is from Peter Critchley, and he writes, How fracking will help economy. The rethink on fracking is a brilliant idea. After all, we should be prepared to suffer earthquakes in return for securing gas supplies in the future. Think how this practice is going to create jobs and grow the economy. We will need numerous builders to reconstruct houses that have been affected and hotels will benefit from all those people who have had to leave their houses and find somewhere to stay. Fracking companies will make huge profits because they will only be allowed to sell their gas to us at world prices as opposed to selling it to us at a discount. And another letter from Julia Wakelam says, I urge all... All readers of this paper, and in particular those who are Tory supporters or members, to make it plain to our MPs that this tearing up of environmental protection is wholly unacceptable. Our countryside is too precious to be sacrificed on the altar of ideology. Then we've got a letter from John Braybrook and Berries and Edmonds, and he's um, making the point that tax cuts are, are just not cuts at all. I've just listened to the Chancellor's so-called mini-budget and the promise of tax cuts next year. We're told that the basic rate of tax will be reduced by 1% from 20% to 19%. Very good, you might think. But what seems to have been overlooked is the fact that personal allowances are not being uplifted to reflect inflation. By my calculation, for someone on an income of, say, 30000 per annum, the saving on tax next year will be about £174, given a personal allowance of £12,570. However, the fact that this allowance is frozen will result in us all paying more tax than we would have done if it had been uplifted to reflect the current high inflation rate. Given that inflation is running at 10%, the personal allowance would need to be increased by £1,257 to take this into account, and the fact that this hasn't happened means we're paying about £251 more. So when is a tax cut not a tax cut, but a tax increase? Well, I'll leave you to work that one out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, right, next letter from John Davis from Bury St Edmunds. And he thinks the uh, voting system changes are needed. In the last paragraph of Paul Geeter's opinion, EADT September 29, he asks us to look back at the voting results to guide us to what might happen in the future. Well, I sincerely hope not. Elections in the past have been with first-past-the-post voting which does not give the voters what they voted for, since the percentage of seats do not match the percentage of votes. In 2019, the Conservatives got less than 50% of the votes, but over 57% of the seats. We need to change our voting system. With the PPPR, that is the Party Percentage Proportional Representation, seats would match votes with one vote on one voting paper. If the PPPR had been used in 2019, the Conservatives would not have an overall majority and the country would be ruled from Westminster and not Downing Street. And now a letter from Malcolm Searle. Uh, he lives in Baker's Lane, Barry St Edmunds, and he 
makes the point that Holmes' plan could solve access issues. The proposed property deal offered by J. Brown and Sons, Berry Free Press, September 16th and 23rd, will be a difficult opportunity for West Suffolk Council planners, local hospital and county council to refuse, given that it would probably solve a lot of the access problems to the new hospital development. Given a bit of imagination combined with proper consultation with affected residents, it could benefit everyone. Local residents in both Hardwick Lane and Horscroft Road, especially if the traditional winter flooding of the latter is remedied with footpath cycle paths incorporated into the new layouts. The loss of farmland to development is always to be regretted. The loss of wildlife habitat within the Hardwick Manor curtilage particularly, so as there are so many mature trees, but as the hospital authorities seem determined to develop this site rather than between Westley and Westley Estate, the ideal site by anyone's perspective, but whether economically feasible, only a few know, perhaps, as the wildlife habitat there seems to be evolving naturally, that area should be withdrawn from development consent as an offset. We all want and need a modern functioning NHS hospital and in reality, to achieve that, compromises will just have to be made. Um, my next letter is from Graham Day and he heads it, Bus Company has a poor track record. I was disappointed to see the reports that Bus Company Stagecoat is planning to axe some bus routes in the west of our county affecting bus routes from Bury St Edmunds and Newmarket to Cambridge. The likelihood is that, that services within the Cambridge area will be enhanced, to the detriment of passengers in the rural area, many of whom rely on these services completely, particularly those who need to travel to work or for education. The argument from the company that the services are untenable because of the poor financial returns ignores the fact that buses are a lifeline and a social necessity for many in the rural areas of our county. I suspect, however, that the stagecoach tendered the lowest bid to provide the service in the knowledge that this would probably happen, a case of take the money and run. However, Stagecoat has a poor track record in other areas of the country as well, so I am therefore not surprised at all. At Easter, we travelled to the Lake District. Because of the uncertainty of fuel supplies due to the Stop Oil Protesters' illegal actions, instead of driving, we went by public transport. In the Lakes, we are relied on the bus service, operated by, well, you've guessed it, Stagecoach. Services between Grasmere and Bonus in Windermere using modern state-of-the-art vehicles was brilliant, frequent, easy to use and with no problems. The contrast with local service run to more remote communities was huge. These services relied on vehicles which had seen many better days. They were uncomfortable and what was worse, they were always breaking down. A bus we were on from Coniston to Hawkshead suffered mechanical problems, which quadrupled over the journey time from 30 minutes to two hours. While waiting on another day in Ambleside, the bus arrived and immediately broke down. The next scheduled bus eventually arrived. The driver revealed his bus had broken down in Langdale the previous day. The decrepit buses equate with disgraceful services by an uncaring company. The directors of Stagecoat and also the county council are obviously not aware, bothered or could even care that the rural buses are an important social service and need to be supported as such. It is indicative of how things are in the UK. Those who have are fine with everyone else struggles to survive. I wish MP Matt Hancock well in his endeavours to get answers from Stagecoat, but I do not expect a result. The other operators can see that these services can be viable to run, then all well and good. Perhaps it is time that Stagecoat will run out of town in disgrace and never be invited to tender again. And also on the same subject, John Brown 
um, writes and he says, why not operate smaller vehicles? With the proposed cuts by stagecoach of number 11 bus from Bury to Cambridge via Newmarket, rather than cut out the route entirely, why not use minibuses, i.e. 20 seaters? Of course they are running empty if stagecoach run double-decker buses. We need better transport in Bury St Edmunds with all the new building proposed or already up and running. And now we have letters and opinions in an item called Chatterbox. So, welcome to Chatterbox, a weekly sideways look at what's got you talking uh, to the keyboard, or taking to the keyboard rather, on social media this week. The news that controversial plans for a petrol station, drive through restaurant and coffee shop on land off the A14 in Elmswell have been recommended for approval had readers showing their opinions. The proposals from Euro Garages Limited have attracted numerous objections, including from the police, three parish councils and residents. Michael Dean Moore was not impressed with the news. He said, another good planning decision by Mid-Suffolk makes you wonder why we elect these councillors and if they even listen to the electorate. Just another application passed which isn't even needed. Austin Cornish questioned, there's a very good independent garage in Woolpit. Why is another national needed? It's also fair to say Gail Webb was unhappy too. She said, OMG, are they blind and deaf? This doesn't need to be here. We have loads of petrol stations and food places near us. And who wants more junk food wrappers and light pollution in the village? Spend the money on another doctor's surgery or road improvements for all the housing that have gone up in the village instead. Linda Middleton pointed out, no need to spoil more countryside and village when there's everything a motorist needs only 10 minutes, 5 miles up the road, next to the A14 at Stowmarket. Big Tesco, petrol station, toilets, McDonald's and a coffee shop. And finally, people also got on their keyboards after hearing that Lake and Heath residents have voiced their frustration over planned roadworks, which will see a main road closed for 61 days and an 11-mile diversion route in place. The roadworks have closed the B1112 Erriswell Lakenheath Road from Erriswell Road to the Earlsfield Roundabout until November the 25th, while drainage improvement works are being carried out. Resident Kerry Stanford said it really is ridiculous. A lot of people on the estate have emailed Suffolk Highways and have all got varying responses. One minute residents are allowed to go through, the next they're not. One minute the school bus is allowed through, but only in the morning, and now that's also in doubt. And what about emergency services? Will they be allowed to gain access, or are they supposed to follow the diversions, all of which also have roadworks on, or soon to have roadworks on too? And now we're going to have a couple of features. Um, My feature is by Peter and he's the energy advisor and environmental researcher. And it's about wasps are not all bad guys. I got stung by a wasp last week. It was my fault. I knew there was a nest nearby. Over the summer I had seen where the wasp had been going and made a conscious decision to live and let live until our two worlds collided. I was moving around close to the entry to the nest, located just under the roof by the side of my house. Given the time of year, I thought activity had slowed, but a couple of the guards must have taken offence to my presence. One entered my hoodie and blam, it got me on the neck. Not so much a bee in my bonnet, but still a bit of a shock. Fortunately, I am not prone to allergic reactions. I whacked on some anti-sting cream and carried on. But it got me thinking about whether this year had been a good or bad year for wasps and other insects, given the extreme temperatures we have all faced. Were numbers up or down? You would think that hot, dry weather would be insect heaven. But my own highly unscientific survey this year suggests to me that numbers are down. In previous years, you could not move around my garden furniture for worker wasps scrapping away at the exposed wood. Each one was doing its best for the colony, collecting wood pulp to build the nest. 
Our image of the aggressive wasp dive-bombing barbecues does not reflect the 100,000 species of wasp in the world, with around 9,000 types just in the UK. The social wasp we think of as most common account for the less than 1% of the wasp family. Many of the species are not even recognisable as the angry yellow and black ones we see have come to betray them. Although maligned heavily, wasps are one of the most prolific pollinators and natural crop protectors by attacking crop-munching insects like aphids. Beyond their role in the food chain, medical research has identified substances in bee and wasp venom could destroy some forms of cancer cells. They do have a very sweet tooth as they feed on the sugary of the wasp's larva before heading off to gather pollen and nest-building material to sustain the colony. We tend to see the redundant worker only when the queen has finished producing eggs and the grubs have hatched. The food supply has dried up by the end of the summer and they are now hungry and in search of a meal. The worst incarnation of this unemployed workforce is the dopey wasp drunk after munching on windfalled apples, like teenagers who've had their first bad experience of cheap cider. Not good to be around, unable to control themselves, but it's not their fault that your ice cream smells so good to them they simply like what you have and want to taste. I confess that I have taken out one or two nests which have been in the house. I have also reached for the swatter on occasions, particularly if I feel my personal space has been invaded by something ready to inject me with venom. But taking a moment before you mash that wasp, the tactic of passive avoidance is generally best since efforts to bully them out of the way elicits both an individual grumpy response, but also causes the individual wasp to release a chemical which tells its compatriots that it has been threatened, leading to unfortunate escalation of the situation. This collective reaction is because they feel the colony is under threat. Better to catch and release an individual using a glass, if you can, so helping to avoid heightening and potentially painful retaliation by the mass ranks. So spare a moment for the much misunding wasp. By heck, they can pack a punch if they rowled or groaded, but most of the time they're solitary and just want to get on with their own business. And now a feature, or really it's an opinion piece, uh, by Michael Cole. Uh, It's headed, Ordinary People Had to Fight for Freedoms We Enjoy Today. Slavery is a living death, the worst punishment one human can inflict on another. I don't own slaves, neither did my forebears. When Britain became the first country to abolish the slave trade in 1807, my maternal ancestors were indentured farm labourers in Norfolk back-breaking toil six days a week. My paternal antecedents were Irish immigrant horse dealers, one step ahead of the law. The vast majority of British people did not live in stately homes built on the profits of sugar plantations. They survived in urban slums or rural hovels. The only thing they got from slavery were rotten teeth when sugar was added to their tea the beverage that saved millions from cholera and other waterborne diseases because the water had to be boiled for tea to properly infuse. Ordinary British people were not slaves, but they had the same rights as slaves. None. Only men of property could vote. Ordinary people had to fight for the vote. Universal suffrages was not won until women over 21 were allowed to vote in 1929. My mother, aged 21, voted in the first equally enfranchised general election in 1931. Only 91 years ago, the rights now taken for granted were won by struggle and sacrifice. The renter mobs disrupting life in furtherance of their pet causes should remember it was ordinary people who won their right to protest. That's why it's unfair for them to blame descendants of those heroes for slavery abolished throughout Britain's empire in 1833, 32 years before America. 
It's time to stop beating ourselves up for a crime our ancestors did not commit. It's time to acknowledge that Britain deserves some credit for its past role in the world. Working in Egypt, I always had the same Palestinian driver. He was proud to have attended one of the British schools in Palestine that educated millions of poor children during Britain's mandate between 1919 and 1948 as we tried to keep peace between Jews and Arabs. An Israeli friend who also grew up during the British mandate said it might have been worse. We could have had the French. The British zone of post-war Germany was well run. Democracy and a free press were firmly rooted. West Germans were saved from the Soviet tyranny suffered by East Germans until the Berlin Wall fell in 1989. Drawing on its vast colonial experience, Britain did a good job. Mm, That was interesting, wasn't it? Um, Right, we're just going to finish off now with a a couple of bits of uh, news in brief. Um, My first one is... Groups and individuals from around Bury St Edmunds have been recognised for their gardening skills. The Athenaeum on Angel Hill hosted Berry and Bloom's Green King Green Fingers Awards on Tuesday, with awards given to organisations including schools, care homes and nurseries. David Irvin, Berry and Bloom coordinator, said, Given the hot and dry weather, The judges were amazed and delighted at the quality of entries they were shown. There were so many good entries we wanted to recognise. We once again introduced special awards. We had some very talented gardeners of all ages in Bury St Edmunds. The ceremony comes shortly after Bury and Bloom saw success in the Anglia in Bloom Awards on September 7th. And now the group is hoping for more recognition as a finalist in the Britain in Bloom competition, the results of which will be revealed on October the 10th in the RHS Lindley Hall in London. Well, that's not too long to wait. Mm-hmm. And uh, now a last bit of news in brief, which is nice and cheerful. Uh, pub unveils revamped garden. A town pub has officially opened its new green space at its end-of-summer garden party for employees and special guests. The Tollgate and Bury St Edmunds Fornham Road held the party to launch the new garden and give back to Green King staff, while at the same time raising money for Macmillan Cancer Support. It took four weeks for the garden to be completed, and the kitchen also underwent a refurbishment, with the pub closed for four days whilst the kitchen was fitted. Holding manager Harry Bullock said, We've got over a 100 sheltered and heated seats now and seating outside for up to 200. We've got brand new furniture, new structure over the patio, so people can sit out here all night on a Friday because it's well sheltered. A lot of the customers are returning customers and pretty much every other person I speak to compliments the garden. The new garden also features an outdoor bar, fairy lights, decorations and flowers. Attendees were treated to an ABBA tribute band and refreshments. There was also a Macmillan raffle and an ice cream van with 50% of takings going to the charity. So we are coming to the end of this edition of St Edmund's Green News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the phone number on the pink sheet which you have been given. Alternatively, you can put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to appreciate, uh, acknowledge our appreciation to the Berry Free Press, East Anglian Daily Times, Haverhill Echo and Newmarket Journal, from whose pages most of our items have been taken. News Talk will be back again next week. So until then, from Katrina, Roger, David and Sue, it's... Goodbye. Bye. been listening to a podcast brought to you by the St Edmundsbury News Talk Association.
You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedensburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St Edmunds studio. Thank you.